Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam. Asher kichanu b'mitzvotah v'tivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Ve'ha'arevna Adonai Eloheinu e'divrei Torateka b'finu ufi. Amka b'tisrael v'niyeh anaknu v'tza'etza'enu v'tza'etza'e amka b'tisrael. Kulanu yodea shemeka v'lomde Torateka lishma. Baruch Ata Aronai Hamlame Torah Leamo Yisrael Ki Lishuateka Kiviti Hashem Baruch Haba Beshem Aronai. Well, it's been a long time. It's been a long time. I shouldn't have left you without a dope parasha to drush to. Anyway, uh, yeah, so still crazy. Still, still happy about life. Life is good. Challenging times, right? So, one of the things is, I did the last Parsha Drop Zone back during Parsha Devarim. So, I want to connect back to that after explaining the momentous day that we just left as of this podcast and are entering into another momentous day. Chai Elul, the 18th of Elul. The 18th of Elul is an amazing day. It's probably like i don't know one of my top favorite days has to be because the way i love hasidic commentary is ridiculous i don't know if you've watched me on uh the sarshalom live stream or the youtube channel talking about lakute torah this lakute torah that baal shem tov this well i didn't say baal shem tov necessarily but lakute torah is all to rebbe baal shem tov well guess what chai elul is the birthday it's the birthday of the Baal Shem Tov. May his memory be for a blessing. And the Alter Rebbe. May his memory be for a blessing. This is a Hasidic festival. It's a birthday party celebration. Now, I know we're not big on birthdays, so we say as Jewish people. But there are a few times on the calendar where we, as we say, turn up in the hood. Uh, for these momentous times, you know, because of the significance of what happened, you know, so these individuals, very important in uh, past movements of Judaism, and Chayelul is considered to be the birth of a movement. And remember, this movement was highly rejected when it first started. There were bands all over the place like not not marching bands but like we don't want their stuff all kinds of negative energy so i'm not going to get into that but we will say this and i'm reading from who wrote this tell me who wrote this nobody gonna tell me who wrote this okay so anyway this is a compilation of what happened on high alul and this article comes from Chabad.org. It says, Chayalul, the 18th day of the Hebrew month of Elul, is a most significant date on the Hasidic calendar. The founder of Hasid, or Hasidism, 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 there we go. We gotta get my tongue right. Rabbi Yisrael Baal Tov, aka the Besht. Okay. That's how you acronym Baal Shem Tov. And it says he was born on this date in 1698. It is also the day 
36 years later, on which the Baal Shem Tov began to publicly disseminate his teachings. Get you some of that. So he's like one year before the Akedah, because, you know, Yitzhak, our forefather, was offered up on his 37th year of life. And Baal Shem Tov was like, well, I guess 36 years is good. 36 is connected to the 36 hidden Zadikim. It's the number of lights we light during the festival of Hanukkah. It's all about the concealed light called Or Haganuz, the light of Mashiach. So for those who are in Mashiach Yeshua, we get to experience this light, which is why we see things in the Torah that most people don't. And that's nothing to brag about, but that's just something to realize because with this realization should actually come humility and sometimes that is not always grasped so i want to encourage myself as well as whoever's listening to do that grab a hold of the humility and the lowliness of stature that we should become my one of my favorite sayings is uh i stay low like little automobiles call me hot wheels so uh, my other one is living life low in competition with the slugs so yeah, so anyway, we need we need all of that right now. Like if you're a believer in Mashiach Yeshua and you are walking in Torah, we need that right now. Like I can't tell you how much we need that. Um so anyway, goes on to say, Baal Shem Tov began to publicly disseminate his teachings after many years as a member of the Society of Hidden Zadokim. So they had a secret group you know, today we got the Avengers. Well, back in 16 or 1700s, they had the Hidden Zadokim. So, you know, there you go. Dragon Ball Z, the originals. Anyway, um, during which he lived disguised as a simple innkeeper. Seriously. And clay digger. His greatness known only to a very small circle of fellow mystics and Talmudim. Who does that sound like? So glad you asked. Sounds like Yeshua HaMashiach. Because, you know, he was disguised in the likeness of man, even as a slave, even unto death. You know, little, little Philippians talk right now. Know what I'm saying? Know what I'm talking about? You know, Philippians, right? the letter that was written to this congregation over in Philippi by none other than Shaul HaShliach. Well, check this out. Uh, he says this in chapter 2, starting at verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Hmm. Do everything like that, huh? So if you're grumbling or arguing about anything that you're doing, it's time to stop. So that's that's that. Verse 15. So that you might be blameless and innocent children of God in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Among them you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast to the word of life so that I may boast in the day of Mashiach that I did not run or labor in vain. So... That came after what I really wanted to read. So let me go back. Rewind. Go back to verse 5. So for whoever that was for, myself included, take it in. Selah. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, help us 
Amen. Okay, verse 5. What does it say? Have this attitude. What kind of attitude we need to have? We need an attitude check. Which also was in Mashiach Yeshua, verse 6. Who, though existing in the form of God... Oh, snap. Existing in the form of God, huh? So Baal Shem Tov made himself in the form of an innkeeper and clay digger and was hanging out with the the Torah get you some Z group. So Mashiach exists in the form of God, but he did not consider being equal to God a thing to be grasped. So, yeah, because, you know, the Torah, right, is a manifestation of Hashem, like the essence of Hashem, the heart of Hashem, the mind of Hashem is in the Torah. Hashem literally says, I wrote myself down and gave it to you. So when we're looking at the Torah, we are looking at the inner working, the inner being and aspect of Hashem. So that got clothed in human flesh. Blue screen. Okay. Next. Verse 7. He emptied himself. Taking on the form of a slave. See, Basham Tov took on the form of an innkeeper, clay digger, right? So Yeshua HaMashiach took on the form of a slave, becoming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a stake. So... Whenever we're talking about the Mashiach, if we don't have that down, like we need to stop what we're doing because Torah can take us so many places. When I had my little uh, freak out a couple of years in the Torah and just went crazy, went off the deep end and stuff and people had to start praying for me, like for real praying for me. um, One of the things I learned was you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, like, Hashem, that's not helpful, you know? And it's like, well, yes, it is if you align yourself with the chain, the unbroken chain, that is, of authority, the unbroken chain of uh, the the commentary, the information, you know, like, what did Abraham learn? What did Yaakov learn? What did Moshe learn? What did David learn? You know, you keep following this line all the way down. And what we have today is known as the Talmud. It's known as the Midrash. You know, all of these different sources that we have, that's the unbroken chain of information. So if you're not lining up with that, you know, got to work on that. And other than that, we have the words of our rabbi, Mashiach Yeshua. Which again, like if he's not first and foremost in anything that we do, that right there is a check. You know, we need to just stop, put everything down and just sit at his feet and just soak it in. You know, I had this saying about a year ago that says, stop what you're doing, return to Yeshua and go from there. Because that's really what a lot of things, when, when things get crazy and when your mind gets all foggy and fuzzy, that's really what you need to do. Because I know we want to learn Gematria. We want to learn all the Halakha. We want to learn the Hebrew. But if we can't learn Yeshua, then we can't learn nothing. 
So anyway, if this it's really important, just remember Philippians chapter two, verses five through eight, among all this other wonderfulness here. So back to the Balsham Tove disguised as an innkeeper and clay digger. His greatness known to a very small circle of fellow mystics and disciples, which are Talmudim, Chai Elul, which is the 18th of Elul, is also the birthday of Rabbi Shneur Zalman Liadi, a.k.a. the Alter Rebbe. And this is um, in 1745. So we got 1698 and then we got 1745. Both on the 18th of Elul, it says the Rabbi Shneur Zalman of Liadi, who often referred to himself as the Baal Shem Tov's spiritual grandson. Mm, get you some of that. Because he was the disciple of Rabbi Israel's disciple, Rabbi Dove Bear of Mezrich. Because, you know, Rabbi Baal Shem Tov had disciples and his disciple had a disciple and that was Rabbi Shneur Zalman of Liadi. Beautiful connections here. I just love reading about this and I thought it was really important to start off the Nitzavim Vayelik drop zone with just dropping that because if we don't know the time and the season we're in, you know, we're kind of out of place. So you got to find your place and time so that you know what to do. And we're in the month of Elul, and we're reading a specific psalm twice a day, uh, in the morning and at night. And it is none other than Tehillim 27, Psalm 27. So I am in the Kehot publications of the psalm, the big green book as we call it, Sefer Yarok. And on page 51a it talks about the month of Elul and it talks about this psalm and practice it's a big old green box it says this this psalm is customarily recited twice daily from the first day of Rosh Hodesh Elul through the last day of Sukkot known as Hashanah Rabbah now that's the custom but check out what else is the custom or according to others until and including Shemini Atzeret. So that means you're either going to read this psalm for 50 days or 52 days total. Because when you get to Shana Rabbah, you are at 50 days from Rosh Hadesh Elul. So where else have we seen 50 days? So use our thinking caps. Use those noggins. Naganim. What is that? Correct. Pesach. Starting the counting of the Omer, going all the way to Shavuot. So what's really happening? We are having a Shavuot time frame in the latter part of the year to match the former part of the year. So as we're doing this, we're literally ascending by using Telim 27 like a Omer count. And, you know, like an Omer count to be grammatically correct Sleeka. I think that's just say live for a second because check this out this psalm contains 13 instances of the divine name which alludes to the 13 attributes of mercy that are ex 
uh, especially revealed during Elul. And this demonstrates how the entire psalm alludes to Elul, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. The month of Elul is dedicated to focusing on our connection with God. When Elul begins, however, our evil inclination tries to dampen our inspiration. So wait, we're supposed to spend this whole month focusing on being connected to God. And the Yatahara is like, because you're supposed to be connected to God, I'm going to make sure you're not connected to God. I'm going to make you work for it. Now, I had this song I did a while back called Work. And, you know, it, it yeah, it just it just goes without explanation. When it comes to getting it in with a shim, it takes work. And I think a lot of us have been social conditioned. I know I was, especially growing up in, in uh, Southern Baptist. You ain't got to do nothing. Just love God and you'll be fine. Live how you want to live. Do what you want to do. But here's the thing. When you get serious about God, opposition gets serious about you. It's like, oh, you want to live for God? You want to love God? You want to be connected to God? You got this beautiful 50-day period where it's like cheat codes. It's like, it's like it's not even fair how easy it is for you to really engage and connect to Hashem. I told you about the Lakute Torah drop that says, if you greet the king in the field... Then when he goes back to his palace, you're given permission to go with him back into his palace wherever he goes. So like normally in order to get to the king in the palace, you got to go through protocols. You got to go through baggage check. You got to go through the, the metal detectors and TSA and all that kind of stuff. Make sure you got your current records. But no, because you greeted the king in the field during the month of Lul, it's like, oh, my little buddy's here. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let him in. I'm, I'm in my inner chamber. Tell him to come on in. Just don't even knock on the door. Just come on in. Like, that's the power and the Kedusha we have right now. And the Yatsahara knows that. So he says, you know what? <laughs> I got a challenge for you. You know, we're going to do some crawling in the mud. I got some barbed wire fence. I got jumping alligators and crocodiles. I got Komodo dragons. Like, we coming for you, okay? So, you probably are not aware of this, but I am. Because it's really easy for you during the month of Elul. You're going to be saying this psalm twice a day. You're going to do extra prayers about penitence and really breaking your heart before God and just be a hot mess. And God is totally okay with that. This is the one time of the year it's totally fine for you to be a hot mess and cry out and just run to Hashem and give him a big old hug. This is the I am a friend of God month, for lack of a better terms. I mean, seriously. How how far and how close, how far do you want to go to get to him? How close do you want to be to him? How connected do you want to be to him? You determine that right now. And it's interesting that we're reading this Torah portion of Nitzavim, which is about standing and entering into covenant and confessing and, and choosing life. You know, you have all these things that are going on. Blessings and curses are behind us. Like we just, we got out of there, you know, and now we're here. 
And then we're going into Vayelik. Moshe is handing it over to Yeshua, you know, and there's this big transition that's happening. We're getting ready to go into the land and the last day of Moshe's life kind of thing. And so this is the time we're in. So the Yetzahara does this. So I'm on 51B now in the big green book, and it says this. This is what the Yetzahara are going to tell you. I will concede that you are inherently connected to God. Practically, though, you inhabit a world where God is hidden. Besides, you have an evil inclination that is an expert in persuasion. So, it is simply unrealistic for you to live this connection to God in your daily life. Come on, man. It's not that it's not that simple. God is concealed. You know, things that are happening in your life, they're just chance. They're just random events. God didn't know about this. I mean, you you're taught that God is not surprised by anything, but you don't really have to think about that. You don't really have to trust in the word of God and walk by faith and not by sight. Like, no, no, no. You don't wrestle with, I mean, you wrestle with flesh and blood, not principalities. Come on, man. You ain't, you ain't got to get all spiritual on me. Just, just be you. Get your feelings out. You know? That's how the Yetzirah be talking. He's really good at it. I, I got to admit. Sometimes it just feels... I'm just going to say it, you feel stupid when you just go, you know what? Eyes on Hashem, Shema Yisrael, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Echad, Perushim, Kavod, Makut, Olam, Vahed. And then you start going in the Shema, and then you get to the Shema, the Esrei, and then you start doing the Elenu, and like, you just feel like, yeah, great. And then you get a phone call, or you get some kind of random thing happen. Like, I don't know, like your car needs to go in the shop. But I don't know nothing about that. Anyway, so the Yetzirah be doing stuff. I want to say this verse because I, I mentioned it uh, in my Shomer Man Midrash here. But uh, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. So I want you to know this is actually in the letter to Ephesus in chapter 6. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So if you're looking at a person, or if you're looking at people, or if you're looking at a group of people, and you got beef with them, it's not actually them that you have beef with. Because our struggle and the battles that we have to fight, it's not with the flesh. But what is it against? I'm glad you asked. He says, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms oh you mean like clepot you mean like forces of impurity that nourish off of random uh sparks of of divinity that are untapped you know those moments where you knew you could have prayed or you knew you could have studied or you knew you could have done this act of kindness and you didn't you've created this void and now the the evil forces Spiritual forces that we're talking about right here, they go, oh, that's my food. They go eat it, and then they turn into the Pac-Man, and they just start going around just eating stuff. So this is where the arguments come from. 
This is where the riot mob mentality comes from. Comes from all those untapped places. So if that wasn't enough, guess what? Shaul also brings this up to the congregation in Corinth. He says in uh, the first letter, chapter 9, verse 25, everyone who competes in the games trains with strict discipline. They do it for a crown that's perishable, but we do it for a crown that's imperishable. So he's like, yeah, you know this famous thing called the Olympics? You know, where people are running around literally naked and competing for stuff and materiality. Yeah, so they do that, right? And they're going to get all this stuff and it's going to perish. But for us, we need to have that same mentality because we're actually living our life for God. And we're going to be gaining things that will never, ever perish. It won't rust. Moths can't get to it. And it will never decay. And it will never go away. You know, I was listening to Lecrae do a short video because he's talking about one of his new songs. And I was like, oh, I haven't seen this guy in years. And I, I just clicked on it and listened to him. He was talking about, man, I'm over the top. And I'm like, over the top. Okay, what you talking about? He said, you know, you spend your time as an artist. He's a rapper. And he's like, you get to the top. And then it's like you got to fight to stay on the top. And he's like, but for me, since I, I love God and stuff. Uh, it's not just about being on top. I want to be beyond the top. I want to be about things that matter, like health, like family, you know, like doing positive things in the world. So I'm over it. I'm over being on the top. And I was like, okay, that's a good message, man. I just got to hand it to you. But I bring that up because he, he mentioned that one of the chases that happened is people want to chase after money fame fortune they want to chase after um these these grammys these awards and things like that and <laughs> one of his interviews he said man like some of my my grammys and stuff they got cobwebs on it and it's like how many people just want to die just to get a grammy you know and he's like yeah i got some in my attic and i guess i i don't remember where they are they, they're covered in dust and i was like Wow, like that should speak volumes to us, you know, because the stuff that we're going to get from Hashem, we're never going to lose it. It's always going to be with us. You know, the whole can't take it with you uh, mantra that we have in this world, like you could spend all your life trying to get all this stuff. But you can't take it with you. Well, guess what? Everything that you get from your mitzvot, everything that you get from your Torah study, everything that you get from your your chavruta, your study group. You get to take that with you. And furthermore, Mishle Midrash, the, the Midrash on Proverbs, tells us that the commandments are going to escort us to the heavenly Beit Din. So that we won't have to have a defense for ourselves because the Torah is going to speak for us. All of those mitzvahs that we do, they're going to they're gonna state our case. And it's like... You're just sitting there like, man, I don't even know. I'm freaking out. There's angels that are 500 years tall and they're speaking and it sounds like rivers of living water. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I think I'm going to die. It's like, wait, I already did. So I don't know what's going to happen now. But it's like, well, if you have mitzvot, you have Torah, you're working on Teshuvah, 
you're really giving it all you got. You have a heart and a passion that yearns for serving and connecting to Hashem and connecting to other people and leading other people to Hashem and being a bridge, you know, all that kind of stuff. You're creating all of this stuff for you. You're like making all these beautiful uh, mansions, if you will, that are going to be ready for you when you get to Shemaim. So anyway, that's something to think about. So I just thought about that and I just wanted to share that with you and also to share second Corinthians eleven fourteen, it says, and no wonder for Hasatan himself masquerades as an angel of light. And we started this podcast off talking about people who, uh, dress up and they take on these guises. Well, guess what? The Yetahara, the evil inclinations, ultimate, uh, father, which is the Satan, the impeder, the disruptor. Uh, that's what he does. He goes, hi, I'm your friend, the angel of truth and light and justice and righteousness. Follow my words and do what I want you to do. I mean, do what you want to do. I mean, what I want. I mean, what you want. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Come with me. That's how it works. So how do we know if we're actually in Torah or not? You know, sometimes we quote, quote Bible verses to fulfill our own desires as opposed to quoting Bible verses to fulfill Hashem's desires. I mean, if you're not seeing that right now, ask Hashem to help you see it. It's totally happening. So, you know, we got to watch out for just the things that we're really like fixated on. You know, if we're not fixated on returning to God and finding our source and our root in him, you know, that's what this time is for. Here's some other stuff that Yetzirah says. Well, first, let us respond to him because he told us about all this stuff. God's hidden. I'm going to persuade you. I mean, I'm not, but I mean, I am. It's unrealistic for you to live connected to God. I mean, you're going to fall anyway. This is what we say. We say the first verse of Tehillim 27. God is my light and my salvation. He will show me what is right. And help me to overcome any challenges. Thus, whom shall I fear? Hashem is my light and my salvation. Whom do I need to fear? I don't know. Some guy wrote that song. Anyway, it goes on to say, but the evil inclination does not give up. Is this reminding anybody of Yeshua in the wilderness when he was tested? You know, 40 days fasting like a crazy person. Like who can do that? Oh, I mean, Moshe. Oh, I mean, Yeshua. Okay, I get it. That's what we're going to do. Okay. So, anyway, so he was doing that, right? And coming down to the end of that fast where you know he had to be hungry. He's in the form of man, for crying out loud, right? So, he's like, the Yetzirah comes up to him. Hey, turn these stones into bread. You got this. You're the son of the living God. It's like, nope. Uh, my, my, uh, what does he say? Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the father, you know, Yetzirah is like, dang, you got me. Ugh, it's impossible. This is the son of God. This is the living Torah. I'm out for like 30 seconds. Hey, we got another proposition for you. Son of God, most high chosen one most righteous of all righteous king of all kings i have a choice for you you know he did that three times so the yetahara 
if he did that to Yeshua, imagine what he's going to do to us. And imagine what that's going to require of us to overcome that. I mean, just think about that for a second. So it goes on to say the Yetzirah does not give up easily. And this is what else he says. The notion of God is my light and my salvation will only help you to resist future missteps, homeboy, homegirl. But you've already sinned in the past, so it's too late. It's too late to apologize. Right? That's what the Yetzirah are going to be doing. It's too late for you. Just give it up. This is your sorry for 2004, and you ain't going to mess up no more. It's too late. Just get it out of here. So what else do we say? Well, another verse from Psalm 27. God is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be frightened? Wow. So then it goes on to say the verse uses two different words for fear. It uses Yerah and it uses Pachad. The first refers to fear of a distant enemy, and the second refers to an enemy that's near. So we covered all the grounds, covered all the bases. It says, so we say to the Etzahara, not only am I afraid of distant enemies, which is my future sins, sleek eye, not only am I not afraid of distant enemies, big difference, I'm not afraid of my future sins, I am not frightened of my sins that are near, i.e. the ones I've already committed. Why? Nope, you don't need to ask, Mr. Yetahara. Just, I got this. Because God is the stronghold of my life, he gives me strength to repent and thereby overcome and transform the mistakes of my past. Lakute Sikot, volume 9, pages 172 through 173. So why are we quoting this song day and night? Because Yetahar day and night is all up in our grill like a microwave. You know, like. It's like, dude, just give it a rest. And he's like, well, for a few hours, maybe uh, I'll, I'll catch you outside. How about that? Or you can catch me outside. How about that? And it's like, Hashem is like, just keep Psalm 27 in your brain. Okay. And then, uh, so here's the other thing that I love that this Psalm brings up is, um, first Yochanan chapter seven, me and some of the Geula gang, we've been talking about this. I have, I have, I'm a part of a gang. I just want to make a confession. We're about getting that redemption. So uh, we're called the Geula gang. It's full of Avengers. But you don't, but yeah, anyway, I don't know why I'm bringing it up. Just want to say that we've been talking about stuff. We've been talking about actual Torah stuff. And this is what we've been talking about. And first John, okay, starting in verse, um, yeah, let's do verse seven. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of the Mashiach, which is the blood of Torah, right? What is the blood of Torah? Blood is symbolic of, or wine is symbolic of blood, which are the esoteric concepts of the Torah, which is called the Sod of the Torah, which is the teachings of the Mashiach. So the teachings of the Mashiach is the blood, which is 
the wine, which is the sowed, the secrets of the mystic levels of Torah. You know, things like you've heard it said, you shall hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemy and even pray for him. Stuff like that. You know, really getting down into it. Um, so, yeah, so that cleanses us from all sin. You know, when you find yourself enthralled and thrown into Torah, it's really hard for you to walk in sin. Like, it it, it just, like, it, it, it escapes your mind. Like, you just lose focus of it. You're like, oh, I didn't even think about sinning today. It's like, well, what did you do? Oh, I was just taking a mikvah in the blood of the Messiah. You know, I was eating his flesh and drinking his blood all day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Breakfast of champions. It's like, oh. That's what that means. Okay. I'm telling you, Torah study is the business, man. If you don't have at least two other people besides yourself that you're studying Torah with, I encourage you, get it. If you need help, let me know. I'll hook you up. Like I said, I'm a part of a gang. Anybody is welcome if you don't have no drama. Anyway, because verse 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You know, so people who think that they're perfect and don't sin and stuff and they think they're exotic. Yochanan has different opinions of that. Yochanan is the Talmud that was most beloved to Yeshua. He's the one that outlived all of the Talmudim. It's kind of important. And some theories say he might still be alive today because of the whole thing Yeshua brought down that, you know, what does it matter to you if this person is alive or as long as I keep him alive, you know, kind of thing. There's a whole drop on that. Don't want to get into it, but just saying, at least as far as what's codified and written, Yochanan is out. He outlived all other of the 12. That's crazy. Okay, because they added a guy to replace Judas and he outlived that one, too. It's like, what? Who is this kid? So that's Yochanan, right? So he's telling us this. In verse nine, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So self-incrimination happens when people puff themselves up as if they have no sin, nothing to hide. They're saying the word of God is not in me. They're saying God is a liar. And it's like, that's weird because you're using his Bible to quote him. And yet you're saying all of this stuff. Anyway, this is just awkward. You know, when you really just start focusing on what what's actually given to us. Uh, from the Mashiach and his 12 and from Shaul. Yeah. Uh, uh, One more thing that's important to know, and I promise with the help of Hashem, I'm going to go into the commentary for actual Nitzavim Vayelik stuff. But, you know, I I want to, uh, what do I want to say? I want to make it emphatic that Parsha Nitavim, which means standing, and specifically standing in covenant, and then Parsha Vayelik, which literally means walking, walking where? To the place of our origin, which is Hashem, which is Teshuvah. 
So we're entering into covenant and making teshuva to enter into covenant to make teshuva. So these two parshot is literally the essence of what I've been reading to us. And I just thought you should know Philippians and Corinthians and first John, you know, like these are some beautiful uh, connections to what is this parsha teaching us? So anyway, this other verse comes from the chosen of the 12 as the leaders, as the leader, you know, we, we got Kepha, Mashiach chose him like that's the right hand man. Absolutely. Hold it down. Who is up there with Kepha? None other than the one who slept in the same bedroom as the Mashiach. And that is none other than Yaakov. Yaakov was so legit that people were upset when people were trying to kill him. Okay. So that's kind of important because there was not a lot of unity in the first century among believers. But yet when it came to Yaakov, a lot of people were like, man, don't mess with homeboy. You mess with him. You mess with me. That's my dog. Okay. We go all the way back. Like, yeah. Anyway. So in his first uh, chapter of his letter, he says this in verse 21. Put away all moral filth and excess of evil. Okay. Moral filth and excess of evil. Okay, if you're just thinking about or have this psyche about you, this mentality that's just it makes you feel uneasy. The reason it's making you feel uneasy is because you probably need to figure out, is this filth or this is excess of evil or is this something I need to deal with? Like I need to talk to Hashem about it. That's what he says. He says, so put it away. And he says, and not only put it away, because here's the other thing. I want to just mention this point is so crucial. As we're making teshuva, when we put off the old to put on the new, you don't just confess and say, okay, this is what I did. And then boom, I'm out. No, you have to put something in that spot now. So, you know, one of your things, maybe you overeat a lot and you're just like, man, I'm just, I just got to eat everything and I don't care. And I'm just falling over every time I eat. Okay. So gluttony is totally a thing. It's a real thing. Got to deal with that. So once you confess your gluttonous and you need help. Okay. So you're going to get help from heaven, right? So you're going to get that unction of man, okay, I'm really, I feel really good right now. And it's like, I got a whole plate of food left. And it's like, okay, don't eat the food. We have Tupperware containers, tinfoil, you know, maybe some food you can't save. Anyway, all those details. So you can have that for seconds later. So now that you're implementing Teshuva from gluttony, you're now putting something in place there. You're like, now I will say the blessing after I eat. Or now I will read a Torah drop because any meal, by the way, that you have that doesn't include Torah, it's considered as if you've eaten at a table of idolaters. I don't know about you, but I don't want that on my conscience. So you're you're dealing with making shuva from gluttony. You have that point because Hashem helps you when you say you repent and you say you want to do better. He's like, all right, I'll help you. So you have that point. You stop. You put your food away for later. You can have it for seconds or as a snack or whatever. 
And it's like, all right, I'm going to read a little Torah real quick. I'm going to say a little Braca, you know, and then, you know, boom, you did it. And guess what? You got to do it again because you're going to eat again, Bezrat Hashem. And so you got to keep that thing going. You got to keep rolling it. And sometimes you may hit it. Sometimes you might not. But you have that heart. You have that passion, that, that yearning and that drive to do better. That's what Teshuvah looks like. That's the meaning of these two parashas. That's why they're actually read together every year unless it's a leap year. So, you know, you have to you have to stand up, then you have to walk. Stand up, then you walk. Stand up, you walk. Isn't it interesting that you have to stand up and then walk? Because that means it insinuated, implied, and inferred that you fail. You know, like a righteous person falls seven times. Because that means they fell six times, they got back up, and then they tried to walk another time, and they fell again. So, like, this whole standing and walking thing is really this picture of, I'm trying to do better, Hashem. Ah, oh, I fell on my face. Ugh, oh, I hate this. This makes me angry. I want to turn green. You know, And it, but you're like, I won't turn green. Well, I'm going to turn green, but I'm going to be like Professor Hulk instead of, like, Angry Hulk. So, like, you just get up, and you start walking again. And that's how we live all the way up until... The redemption all the way up until the resurrection, you know, like obviously we die unless Mashiach tarries, you know, but if he doesn't tarry, we don't die. Brugashem changing twinkling of an eye. I'm, I'm on team twinkling of an eye. I may may that be so King here at home. But anyway, this is how we're supposed to live. This is what that life looks like. This is what this this passage here in the green book of telling was telling us. So anyway, Back to Yaakov chapter 1. So put away all the moral filth and the excess of evil. Receive with humility the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The Torah is already in us. Why? Because we were created with Torah. Zohar. What parasha was that? Kedoshim. I believe it was Zohar Kedoshim. Or no. Zohar Shemini. Says that man was created by Torah. So Torah was used to create us. Torah was used to create all creation, you know. And Torah is already in us. So the, the implanted word that has the ability to save our souls, you, you get that salvation of your soul through humbling yourself. And I just want to shout out Ner Yarok Shlita, because he, he like eagle eyed this thing when I was reading Romans 10 in our study. Because <laughs> in Romans 10, it says this in verse 2 I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not based on knowledge. For being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit themselves to the righteousness of God. So that humility, humbling yourself, putting away the moral filth and the excess of evil to receive the implanted word of God that is in us to save our souls. Like, yeah. So anyway, we have to we have to submit. We have to humble ourselves. We have to bend and shouts out to Nova Shlita. He brought down this beautiful drop from Sefer Hinuk that talked about the shofar of Rosh Hashanah 
It's not the kadoo like we're normally used to listening to, the beautiful sounding one, but it's that that ear piercing, just oh crazy sound. Like you're just like this sounds like somebody is in agony. The ram's horn. You're just like, wow, that sound. Goodness. So that that sound, first of all, is to represent crying. You know those groanings that we're supposed to have? Uh Romans eight brings it up. There's uh, sounds and groanings that we have that um, we can't utter with our words. Where is that verse at? Romans 8. Yeah, Romans 8, verse 23. Not only creation, but even ourselves, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Ruach, which, by the way, is the Torah of the Spirit, the Torah of Mashiach, groan inwardly as we eagerly await for the for adoption the redemption of our body for in hope we are saved but we hope or but hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees but if we hope for what we do not see then we eagerly wait with for it with perseverance so there's a lot of things we can't see right now and they're going to be revealed in tishrei but the thing is, how are you doing with things that you can't see? Because when you can see it, that's simple. Anybody can do that. Well, I say that, but I mean, it's easier than not seeing stuff. So it goes on in verse 26. In the same way, the Ruach helps in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Ruach himself intercedes for us in key word, groans too deep for words so intercedes with us or intercedes for us with groans too deep for words that my friends is the shofar the breath and the blast of the shofar is considered to be the voice of god which is none other than the spirit of god this hovered over the waters so yes when we look at yom echad where there was a day where everything was all formless and void and we saw the spirit of God hovering over the waters and then Hashem said let there be light that is a picture of Rosh Hashanah that is a picture of what happens when we Nitzav stand up and Vayelik it's like that spirit that hovers over the water and light just bursts forth out of darkness that's what our teshuva is literally supposed to look like. Teshuva is Romans 10, like confessing with your mouth what's in your heart, that Yeshua is Adonai, calling upon the name of Hashem, that you may be saved. That is teshuva. That is literally light bursting forth out of the darkness from chaos, formlessness, and void. Because every time we sin, we create chaos, formlessness, and void. And we need that blast of the Spirit of God to just blow into our life. And that happens through our tears. That happens through our groanings. Like, Hashem, why can't I do better? Like, if we're not having that conversation with Hashem, we got about a week and a half left. Just saying. Get busy. Okay? We should have that. You know? Anyway, so if you need help with that, when Rosh Hashanah gets here, that's what the shofar blasts are for there to help you so the shofar blasts are actually the grace of hashem to help us where we can't seemingly help ourselves we have trouble crying 
We have trouble groaning. We have trouble just being in anguish over our sin and formlessness and void, being disconnected, separated from Hashem, not doing better, not making shuva. Hashem's like, if you listen to the shofar, if you would just allow that sound of that ram's horn that just, it ain't pretty. It's not a pretty sound. And some of the shofar blowers, I want to encourage you, because first of all, high five to you shofar blowers. Because I don't know how to blow the shofar, but you're doing it, and I'm really proud of you for doing it. And you may be nervous about it. You may feel like, oh, my gosh, my shofar blowing sounds horrible. It's like, no, just remember, you're you're helping other people do what this verse just taught us in Romans 8.26. We're going to have these deep groanings that we need to get to, and you're helping us with that. So is Teshuvah individual or communal? Yes. So shofar blowers, may Hashem anoint you. And I could just cry about it right now because it's so powerful to know you have somebody that's going to help you connect to Hashem when you can't do it yourself. We can try. Sometimes we sometimes we get it. Sometimes we don't. But the shofar is going to be there to help us. That's the grace of Hashem. Okay. I'm all worked up. Okay, but anyway, so it's important you should know that verse. You should know about the shofar. You should know Rosh Hashanah is all about the Torah portion that we're in. Yom Kippur is the second one. So why are these two Torah portions together? Because Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are connected. So Parsha, Netzavim, and Vayelik are connected. If you look in, again, my favorite book, Lakute Torah, it's now becoming my favorite book besides my children's books, uh, when you go to Parshat Vayelik and Lakute Torah, it just says Shabbat Shuva. And you're just like, what? Where's the Parshat? And it's like, this is the Parshat. Get ready for Yom Kippur. Because, uh, yeah, if you ain't making Shuva, you're not really ready for Yom Kippur. But wait, I thought Yom Kippur was the day we've forgiven and our sins are blotted out. It's like, yeah, but your sins aren't blotted out if you aren't making Shuva. So that's a hard thing to deal with. But yeah, that's true. Your sins are not blotted out if you're not making shuva. Your sins ain't blotted out if you ain't making shuva. Parashat Demonics. Uh, Rabbi Ridiculous Shlita. I got to throw that in there. Rabbi Raskin. Come on, man. This guy. What's wrong with him? Hashem, why you make him like this? Anyway, this guy, this rabbi, may he have a long and blessed life. Amen. This guy <laughs> says this. Um, Parsha Netzavim has 40 verses, which is the gematria of the word levavo, which is his heart. This is what he says about that. First of all, he says 40. Sika, he says, historically it was on the first of Elul that Moshe went up on Mount, went up on the mountain, 40 days, 40 nights. For the third time, Moshe's like, I done done this twice already, y'all. I'm going to do it one more time. Get it together. No, he didn't say that. He just said, you know, I'm going up the mountain. Second set of tablets in hand. New covenant coming soon. Released on the 10th of Tishrei, you know, like a movie. <laughs> anyway, 
So it says this time he went to do teshuva on behalf of the Jew. Wait, wait, the redeemer, right? The first redeemer, Moshe, who is the picture of the final redeemer, Yeshua. He intercedes for us at the right hand of the father. Come on. Uh, making teshuva on our behalf. Okay, so we're supposed to repent, but the Redeemer's repenting on our behalf. So you know that message where it says, you know, God's done it all. Yeah, just because he's done it doesn't mean that we don't have anything to do. You know, Hashem told Abraham in Genesis 22, take your son up the mountain. Abraham was like, great, I'm going to go sacrifice my only son that I love because I, I praise and bless the name of Shem. Hashem was like, well, I really didn't ask you to sacrifice him. I just said, bring him up there for the Ola, the whole burnt offering. Because little did Abraham and Yitzhak know there was a ram that was slain before the foundation that was headed towards that mountain. And by the time Abraham and Yitzhak would get to the place that Hashem had designated for it, that ram would be there. So if you really think about it, Hashem was like, all right, I'm doing it. I'm doing everything. I just need you to come and do it too. Like, do this with me. Watch how I roll and you roll the same way. You know, be imitators of Hashem. You ever heard that verse? It's another Ephesians passage. Anyway, so I say all that to say, as Moshe was making teshuva on behalf of the Jewish people, the people themselves are doing the same thing we do every Elul. Focus on making teshuva. So if that was true with Moshe, how even much more so is that true with Yeshua during this time of the month of Elul? Again, he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us in prayer. Hmm. It's hard to pray too if you're not making teshuva. Again, it says he's doing this on behalf of the Jewish people because of the sin they committed with the golden calf. At the end of the 40 days, God awarded Moshe with the second pair of Lukot and said, what did he say? I have forgiven you as you have requested. So Hashem is saying, Moshe, I forgive you. And Moshe is like, well, this is on behalf of the Jews. So when Hashem forgave Moshe, he was forgiving the Jewish people. So when Yeshua said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do, as he was interceding for us on the crucifixion stake, how about that reality? Say to the law. Anyway, it says, the day Moshe descended the mountain became the day of atonement for all generations to come better known as Yom Kippur aka Yom Hadin why do I want to bring up Yom Hadin because that's the Basora passage this week did you know there is a good news passage with every Torah portion you should read the gospels with every single Torah portion you should like there's a section of the gospels whether it's from Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. There's a section of those that go with each Torah portion. If you need me to send you that, send me an email, send me a voice message, I'll send it to you. 
because because it's really important to understand the essence of who the Mashiach is because he is our example. He is literally the rabbi that we're supposed to imitate. You know, uh, Judaism has done a good job of modeling that pattern of, yeah, be like your rabbi. Da, 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 da. Well, no one ever really focuses on being like Yeshua. I mean, really, after the dust of his feet, you know, because if you have a rabbi, he should be pointing you to Yeshua. And if he's not, then again, I, I did call the man rabbi on the Lapid Judaism channel. And I talked about this. So, you know, you got to connect all these dots because who is really the person you're looking at? You know, because uh, Encyclopedia Judaica brings down that the king of Israel is literally called the son of God. Because when you see the king of Israel, you're looking at God. I know that's absolutely ridiculous. But yes, son of God is a euphemism for the king of Israel. And it's like this human flesh and blood person is the son of God. Okay, are we deifying a human? No, that's not how Judaism sees it. But anyway, back to the Besor passage. It is from Yochanan chapter 12. Uh, since we have a double parsha, there's two passages, but I just wanted to read this passage because we're talking about Yom Kippur. And uh, Yeshua brings this down and he uses it in John chapter 12, verse 48. So I'll go back to 44 so we can read it in context. But I'm going to read from the Orthodox Jewish Bible because, you know, that's just how we're going to roll. But Rebbe Melech Hamashiach cried out, The Ma'amin, the believers in me, does not have Amuna in me, but in the one having sent me. Oh, snap. So you know some people that say they believe in Yeshua, right? According to what Yeshua just said, if you say you believe in Yeshua, what you're really saying is you believe in Hashem. So wait a minute. So... In Romans chapter 10, did we not just say Romans 10, 9? It says, um, 10, 9. What's wrong with you, phone? 10, 9. Okay. If you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is Hashem. Now, he says that in verse 9, right? So, that Yeshua is Hashem. You believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. But if you go on and keep reading, listen to what he says. Verse 10. For with the heart is believed for righteousness. With the mouth it is confessed for salvation. For the scripture says, whoever trusts in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, Jew and non-Jew. For the same Lord is Lord of all, richly generous to all who call upon him. Key verse. For everyone who calls upon the name of Adonai shall be saved. So if you take verse 13 and put it with verse 9, this is how it would read. For if you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is Hashem and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls upon the name of Adonai shall be saved. And then you put that with what Yeshua just said. And John chapter 12, verse 44, the believer in me, the one who professes belief in me, has their faith in me through their heart. You know, they receive Yeshua in their heart and they 
confess it with their mouth. He says, if you have that for me, it's actually in the one who sent me. Like, did that just, did that just click? Did that just register? Like, we're really saying we believe in Hashem. And I just brought down, when we say the Son of God, we're looking at the King of Israel, but we're really looking at Hashem. And when we really say that we we have our rabbi, then we're really looking at Yeshua, but we're really looking at Hashem. Like, it, like you have to go to the source, you know, and keep that chain all the way down. Like, if we ever look at Yeshua and think, nah, he doesn't want us to do Torah. Nah, he doesn't want us to really convert. He doesn't want us to repent. I mean, goodness, I'm living life for him. I love him. But if you're not celebrating Yom Tov, keeping Shabbat, doing any of that stuff, you're really not placing your faith in him. You really don't have him in your heart. So anyway, Romans 12 or Romans 10, 9 and verse 13 with John chapter 12, verse 44. That is a beautiful sandwich right there. It's my favorite kind of sandwich. Okay. So, focused on Hashem. If we're not doing that, we're missing the point. Verse 45. And the one seeing me sees the one having sent me. So, oh my gosh. One of Yeshua's Talmudim said, show us the Father. And Yeshua says, I've been with you all this time, and you asked me to show you the Father? What? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. I don't know. I'm a little, I feel resurrected right now. Like, that's just how I feel. Just, just a beautiful thing is happening right now. Seriously, looking at Yeshua is looking at Hashem. Looking at the Torah is looking at Hashem. Oh my gosh, is that why we kiss the Torah? Is that why we lift it up and say, This is our behold our salvation? Mm, goodness. Okay. If you look at the way we treat a Torah scroll, Yeshua is telling us that you look at that Torah scroll the way that you look at Hashem. Wow. Okay, we'll try this, verse 46. I promise I will try to get to verse 48. Yom Hadin. Anyway, verse 46. I have come as a light into the Alam Hazay. I have come as a light into the world. What is the light of the world? Judaism teaches that is the menorah. Judaism teaches that is the temple. Judaism teaches that is the Torah. Okay. Put all that together. Yeshua is telling us. Right now, we are literally eating his flesh and drinking his blood. This is what it feels like. If you don't feel like this, then you go back in the kitchen and get, get another plate. Okay. I'm sent as a light into this world that everyone believing in me, which is believing in Hashem, may not remain in Choshek. You will not remain in darkness. It will not be confusing. No foggy brain. 
No fuzzy thought. Like it's clear. It's like boom. Right there. Okay. Then it goes on to say, and if anyone hears my devarim, if anyone hears my words and my devarim and of my devarim, they're not Shomer. <laughs> so if you don't watch over and guard my words, I do not judge him. For I did not come to bring the Olam Hazay into judgment, into Mishpat. I ain't come for that. But that I may save the Olam Hazay. I'm here to rescue you from your own self. <laughs> Basically what Yeshua just said. Because listen, you weren't guarding the Torah before I got here. Like I'm showing up to help you get that right. There's going to be a time where the window closes and you don't have any more uh, option on that. Again, to quote my fellow Chavendra Nova, he says, until that time, until the end of this all, until the final redemption, until all is said and done, our futures are not written in stone. But when all is said and done, it's all boom, it's set. You know, it's like when you're pouring concrete, you can play around in that stuff. But man, when that stuff sets, you're done, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's what our life is. It's where everything in the world right now is going on until the final redemption. Nothing is set in stone until that final time. So, yeah. So he's like, listen, I, I'm, I'm coming here to help you out. Hook you up. I'm the, I'm the hookup. Holly, if you hear me, I got the hookup. Holly, if you hear me. Okay. Verse 48, here it is. The one setting me aside, the one who sets the Torah aside, the one who sets Hashem aside, and not receiving the word, has his judgment. Has his judge. The word is shofet. So, think about that for a second. The result of your choice is actually what is your judgment and actually the judge that presides over your case. You set the Torah aside, you set Hashem aside, you didn't want to make Teshuvah. Well, guess what? That has become your judge. We say this phrase, Baruch Diana Met, blessed be Hashem, the true judge. Well, guess what? Hashem says, I set before you life and death that's in our parashat netzavim this week. Hashem says, choose life. I'd rather your judge be life than your judge be death because you didn't, like, because you didn't choose life, you chose death, which became your judge. I'm, man, Yeshua is so legit. Okay. The Devar which I spoke to you will judge him on Yom HaAkaron, i.e. Yom Hadin. So now, Yom Akaron, the final day, Yom Hadin, this is all called Yom Kippur. You don't believe me? I hope you do. But, you know, you should not just take my word for everything because I am crazy and I am a human being. But I will source it out because we going to source some stuff out. <laughs> Believe that. Okay. This is from The Depths of Yonah by Rabbi Chaim and Benjamin. 
And it says this is publication 2018. Sefer Yonah, the book of Jonah, represents the triumph of the Midat Harachamim, the uh, what the Mida, the uh, the character trait, the quality, the the attribute. That's the word I'm looking for. The attribute of mercy over judgment. Oh my gosh, Yaakov wrote about that. Let me let me throw that in there. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Not only is that written in Amos 7, 9, but it's also in Yaakov chapter 2, verse 13. What does he say? Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. <laughs> okay. Because we totally just focus on Yom Kippur, the book of Jonah. Why do we focus on Jonah on Yom Kippur? Because mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay. I'm trying to get myself together to read this next line. Making it the perfect reading for Yom Kippur on the day described as Yom Hadin. See? There you go. There's your source. The depths of Yonah. One, uh, specifically, uh, chapter four or section four, uh, entry 19. If you're on Safari, depths of Yonah one, four says that Yom Kippur is known as Yom Hadin. I'm pretty sure if you search other Jewish sources, you'll probably come across Yom Hadin. So Yeshua was talking about Yom Hadin in this port in, in this Basora portion that corresponds to the double Torah portion that talks about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Okay, so back to Levavo, the forty verses in Nitzavim from Rabbi Raskin. It says, "What does it say?" In our parsha, we find the mnemonic Levavo. However, it is in a negative context. As it states, perhaps there is among you a man, a woman, family, or tribe who just lost their mind. No, that's not in there. Uh, whose heart is straying today. Oh, yeah, they did. They lost their mind. Okay, so if somebody has lost their mind, it says, however, in the end, you will return. And God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your children to love God, your God, etc. This pasuk teaches us how God will help us due to Shuba. However, earlier in the parsha of Ekev, it says, you shall circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Remember that verse? It said, you, you do it. But now in parsha Nitzvim, Hashem's like, nah, I'm going to do it. Nah, you ain't going to do it. Nah, I ain't going to do it. Do it for the vine. I ain't going to do it. Anyway, attached to the vine, you know, vine. Anyway, I'm happy right now, y'all. Can't you tell? I'm smiling. Okay. Ekev says, you circumcise your heart, implying that the individual must do Teshuvah on his own. What then is the difference if God is circumcising your heart or if you do it yourself? Again, God's done it all, girl. You ain't got to do nothing. Right? Been told that. It's like, well, that's half true. Except for when you read Parsha Ekev and put it with Parsha Nitzavim. And then you're like, oh, I do have to do something. It says, the Rebbe explains this as follows. In the portion of Ekev, 
the individual did his own his or her own teshuva and soul searching just like we do in the lul however it was done out of fear of punishment just sheer terror like oh my gosh god is going to turn me into a greasy spot that kind of teshuva we've kind of lost that we've kind of lost the idea that god can turn us into a greasy spot you gotta get that back anyway furthermore when the eyes see the heart desires when the eyes see the heart desires you ever wonder why we're supposed why we're told to look at our zitzit and that woman who had the issue of blood she was just a zava like she was just parsha um tazria all day she's like oh my gosh parsha tazria parsha medzora it's my life i'm so isolated from everybody i might as well have leprosy too you know anyway she's like i want hashem and she saw yeshua's zitzit and she reached out and she grabbed him and we read about the zitzit from parsha shalak bami bar chapter 15 numbers chapter 15 says we're to look upon these zitzit because we're to watch over this because our eyes and our heart they they go astray our heart goes after our eyes so if we focus our eyes upon the author, perfecter, and finisher of our Amuna, yeah, did you know Hebrews chapter 12 goes with Numbers 15? Oh my goodness. I didn't until just now. It's all about what your eyes looking at. Anyway, Tupac said all eyes on me. But Hashem was the originator of that, so Tupac stole that. So you should give that back, homeboy. Anyway your eyes and it says god thus circumcises your heart he performs an operation he separates the heart from the eyes as such one will be one will not be negative to negatively influenced by what the eye sees and will truly come to love god so in Parsha Nitzvim, when we do Teshuvah out of love, which is actually God doing Teshuvah for us, God's going to separate our heart and our eyes so that whatever our eyes see, if it's not even of God's desire, our heart is, is separated from that so it doesn't have to stray after our eyes. That doesn't mean neglect what your eyes are looking at. Okay, don't get that. Uh-uh, stop. It says, you will not be negatively influenced by what your eyes see, and you will truly come to love God. Why is that important? Because when we say the greatest declaration of our faith, we close our eyes and we cover them. And if you're wrapped in your tallit, you wrap your tallit over your face. And we say, Shema Yisrael. Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. We say that, and another beautiful phrase in an undertone, unless it's Yom Kippur, during the uh, the Minka time. 
We say that with closed and covered eyes. We don't need eyes to see what our heart wants. That's what happens when you make the ultimate shuva. That's why Yeshua says this is the greatest commandment. And that's why it's important when we understand the meaning of Parashat Nitzavim, standing up, returning back to God, walking towards him, desiring him. We don't need eyes to see him. This is why we won't make a golden calf in the time to come, because we don't need to see our God in order to see him, in order to love him and desire him. Just saying, that's absolutely ridiculous when you think about it. This is why Yeshua says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So it goes on to say, the above theme of returning to God through love rather than fear is underscored by the acronym at the month of Elul, which is I am my beloved and my beloved is to me, which means we, the people see God as our beloved and God reciprocates out of love. So similarly, the altar Rebbe teaches that in the month of Elul, the king is in the field and receives everybody with a happy countenance and shows a smiley face to all pertaining to Abraham of whom God says, I love him. Levavo, which is his heart is used in a positive context as it states. I have found Levavo, his heart to be faithful before him through Teshuva out of love. We can transform the Levavo of strength to the levavo of Abraham and truly be beloved by God. May you be inscribed for a happy and healthy, sweet new year. Ki lishuateka kiviti Hashem, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher natan lanu Torah temet, Vekaye olam natabetokenu Baruka Tarunai no ha Torah